a little bit. This is the first time I've preached at Legacy. I've, we've been going here almost three years, and uh, when I first came, we decided we were going to take some time off, and uh, so now it's time. So here I am, and uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about my background, a little bit about who I am and why I'm here. I'm in, I came to be in the residency at Legacy. We were planting a church in Pigeon Forge. We decided that the Lord wanted it to be a different way. We knew that very clearly. And so we began to seek out a group of people who were doing it the way that we thought it should be done. And we came here. We found this place to be a wonderful home. Luke and the elder, other elders here have been awesome to us. And this has been a sweet place. And the Lord has been so good to us for a couple of years. Um, but I came from the hills of Tennessee. Um, if, you're not used, if you don't know much about East Tennessee, everybody knows Dolly Parton. She grew up on Locust Ridge, and I grew up in Pearl Valley. So I grew up right under where she grew up. And uh, I, I, they had to pop in sunshine where I lived. We did not have water bills because we, we just had a sunshine bill. Uh, I remember when they put electricity down the road I lived on. I'm 39 years old. So that tells you anything about how far back in the hills I lived. That's a long way back. Um, I'm the only, I was the only guy in my graduating class in high school that knew how to milk a cow. I knew how to do that. Um, I also knew how to skin a rabbit and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that's where I came from, and that's who I am. And uh, the churches in the hills are completely different than churches anywhere else. Uh, all your life, you go somewhere. I remember the first time I ever pre went outside of our region to preach in a Baptist church. They all just kind of sat there. They sang their hymns, and then it came time for me to preach, and they just sat there. This is what they gave you, the whole sermon. I grew up where people said amen, and they raised their hands, and they stood up, and, they, and, and you would have to sometimes wait for the church to calm down to finish preaching. So it was totally different. And, so I, grew, and I grew up in a shouting Baptist church where women would run the aisles, and, and it, was, it was pretty interesting. It was not what everybody thinks Baptists are. But I remember when we went out, they were all like, and I was like, oh, these people are, and so it was really hard to get used to. Um, but that's where I come from, and that is who I am. So this morning, there you go, amen, thank you. Uh, so if I say amen, then I will need somebody to say amen back, okay? That means I'm lost, y'all gotta help. Um, church was always interactive for us. Um, in John chapter six, beginning in verse 60, that's where I'm gonna start this morning. The Bible says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he, sorry, ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, I have spoken to the spirit of life. But there are some of you that do not believe, for Jesus knew that they were beginning, that from the beginning, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Real quick, I want to point out that I don't know why. Uh, I was listening to John Piper, and he's, he's like me the whole time as I looked at this all week. Why did all of a sudden they decide they need to talk about Judas? Uh, because this passage covers Judas. Um, I think it's to show that God is sovereign over everything. So I think the note um, there is that not only does he know what they're doing, but he begins to mention Judas so that he knows, so that we know, the reader knows, that God is sovereign 
even over the devil. Lost my place. Okay. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have, be- and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, I did not choose, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to stand in front of your people. And I pray, Lord, now that you would speak to our hearts and change us forever. You're our Lord and you're our King. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want you to catch is that, um, that the Lord is sovereign. He chose his people. He chose them. Interesting. He even chose Judas, the one who would betray him. So the whole plan was in motion. And he's showing you that even so that when you get to the cross, you understand that, that, that no one accidentally betrayed the Lord. He did that exactly for us. That's just an important note. I don't think you need to miss it. And I promise you that I will not preach a really long time this morning. Another thing they taught us in the hills is keep it under 30 minutes. Um, and I can't seem how possibly get past 30 minutes now. But the, thought, the, the thing that I thought about the most as I began to study, as I began to read, and I wrote, I wrote all kinds of notes about all this great stuff I could teach people. But this was the question that kept bearing in my mind. Simon Peter said to him, where to whom would we go? So as I began to think, I, I, remember, I remember when I was a kid, my mama used to sing this song. It says, uh, living below in this old sinful world, where could I go but to the Lord? All the time in our lives, we look for all these places to go and, and, our, and our broken nature desires it. And, but in the, anyway, the question that I got the answer to the, that I got to that question in the course of this week eventually was this. I go where he calls me to go. He's sovereign over that. He was sovereign over all my troubles. If you look back before that, um, he begins to make an offer. Before, before, you know, it says this is a hard saying. He begins to make an offer. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood then you, know, you, ha- you don't have eternal life. So if you will drink of, eat my flesh and drink of my blood, then you'll have eternal life. So he begins this offer. That, and the interesting thing is, I, I, he was a really bad, I would think that this was a bad gospel presentation, especially if, if you were doing it in, in North America, because you always look for things that are appealing. But he said it to a Jewish crowd, number one. Number one, he was, they were not people that were allowed to have blood at all, much less human blood. So he sounds like he's proposing cannibalism along with, with things they're totally not allowed to do. So literally, he, he opens the gospel presentation here with the hardest part in the world. So it's extremely offensive to them. So my question is, what is, 
when he begins to speak to us and we begin to get offended, you know, we're afraid to share the gospel. A lot of times as we go out into a world around us, we're terrified, terrified, terrified to share the gospel because we're going to offend. Uh, we're beginning a group right now and uh, we're in the starting work. Well, one of the people in the group is always like, don't frighten this person with this or don't with that. And I'm always like, you know, but the, she'll get offended and she'll never come back. And I don't believe in offended people on purpose, but I certainly know that from this model, he ordains it. What is the most offensive thing that you can tell an American today? Well, in my experience, the most, exper the most offensive thing that you can tell me, I, by the way, am very prideful, and it's very hard for me to swallow that I am sinning. The hardest thing I ever have to swallow is whenever my friend or my wife or somebody else looks at me and says, that's wrong. You can't keep doing that. So, but it's a grace to me. It's a complete grace to me that people would call that out. It's a grace to me that I'm offended. It's a grace to me that I'm bothered. He begins to make an offer. This, this, this is my flesh. Take it and eat it. The, the thing is, when we're offended with the gospel, that's an offer. That's an offer. And oftentimes, oftentimes, I've offended close friends of mine. And sometimes they never speak to you again. The same thing happened with Jesus. As he began to say, take and eat my flesh and offend them and offend their culture and all that, they began to go away. From a church growth perspective, this was not good. You start this whole story, this whole kind of little area of the, the passage out. He's feeding 5,000. And then you get down to 12. That's, those are bad numbers. And it almost looks like Jesus does it on purpose. But I go back to this. He made an offer. You see... A lot of times whenever we point, this is, this is where the flaw is at. And this is where the difference is in the way we evangelize and the way Jesus did it. He gave himself. The thing that he offered, he said, my flesh, my blood, the thing that he offered for your eternal life was himself. You go back to the story of the woman at the well. She was at the well and she was drawing water and she starts a big debate with him. And he looks at her and says, but if you would drink the water that I give, You'll never thirst again. You see, he offers something so far beyond anything that we can imagine. He offers us life everlasting. Another thing you see in this passage is he continually, the resistance to him grows. First of all, the great crowd that was around him begins to resist and they begin to leave. As the apostle, as the disciples are there, they begin to grumble. That's the next thing you notice. It says that they begin to grumble in them and he knew that they were grumbling within, within themselves. So they grumble. So his resistance, the resistance from his disciples, his closest friends, begin to grow. We don't, we don't identify very well with times when those things happen. And I don't know 
he understood better than we did. You see, because that was in his control. Over and over and over and over, the most arch, overarching thing in the whole thing is that God is absolutely sovereign. They went from 5,000 to 12 on purpose. He offered them the, the opening to his gospel in this part was offensive by his purpose. And then he says, didn't I choose you 12? And one of you is a devil. By his purpose. Then he gets to them and he says, where would you go? Or where would we go? Simon Peter says, where would we go? But to you, do you have the wonderful words of life? I often wonder in all of our trouble, all of our troubles, where we go. When the Lord, when it gets hard, a lot of times we do what everybody else did and we leave off the side and we become part of that 5,000 that walked away. A lot of times he gives us grace that we be part of the 11 that stayed. When opposition begins to rise in your life, where is there else to go but the Lord? You know, when, whenever, whenever you need something way down inside, when you feel alone and the whole world is dark around you, where is there else to go but the Lord? When sin rages in your life and all over everything that you have and it seems like you cannot walk away, where else is there to go but the Lord? When you need mercy and everyone else has left you alone, where else is there to go but the Lord? We spend all of our lives seeking fulfillment from other things, but he said that I give you life. The other, the other part of the passage said that the flesh itself can't do anything, but the, it's the spirit that gives life. He offers life. And so many times, so many times we look at our own resources. We struggle. So we work ourselves to death. This is North America. And one of the greatest things we do is whenever when we get poor, we just go to work and we work and we work and we expect money to, to, to save us from all of our troubles. And if we work 80 hours a week and, and then our marriage falls apart and our whole world falls apart, everything falls apart, it's because we're looking to money to save us. But he calls us to him. He said... We say, go work, 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 drive ourselves in the ground. He said, come to me and rest. When, when we feel alone and we feel like we need someone else to fulfill us, we, we go looking for other people to say the, the words that we need to hear. We go looking for people to, to blow our egos up. We find, and eventually we find ourselves in affairs and, and, and all kinds of things. And what he said was, take your identity from me. Find, I, one, one writer said that he was our dearest friend. You see, my question is, is why do we go to the things that cannot help and we know we cannot help it? Those things can't help. When he calls us to come to him. 
the sovereign. His choosing Judas Iscariot proves that he controls even the devil. We rely on on our own things. He offers you and me every day to come and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He offers us life. He offers us hope. He offers us peace. He offers us joy. So what I ask today And I'm almost done. I told you I wouldn't take long. What I ask today is would he, would he help more than all the things that you want in your life? More than all the things that you think you can hold on to? You see, he's the sovereign. I don't know if you know this or not, but he controls the very things that tempt you and draw you away. He calls you. So again, I would just ask, where would I go but to the Lord? As you get ready to go into communion, as you begin to do that, it's a, it's a, it's a very visible gospel. Literally, literally there we're reminded that he was broken for us. Over and over there in those moments, he certainly offers us his flesh and his blood. And he says, eat of me and drink of me, and I'll give you life. Communion doesn't save anybody. But it certainly, certainly, certainly reminds us that he does. Our only hope is that he would give us grace to go to him. Because in him there is peace. In him there is purpose. In him there is joy and life everlasting. I would love to have said all kinds of really cool stuff. They're recording this for Acts 29. But there's nothing fancy, and I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to ask you now where would we go but to the Lord? As you go into your life, as you go into your work, as you look at your troubles that you deal with today, the very heart, the insecurities that you sit here and struggle with now, where would you go but to him? You see, he's the one who controls those things. He's the sovereign. So as you get ready to go to communion, by the way, as, as we, they start the worship and all that stuff, don't, don't think people are making a mass exodus. Uh, The communion tables are in the back. We invite you to come and and receive that with us. Uh, Do it in con groups and as families. Um, But remember, this morning, remember more than anything, remember that he was broken for you and his blood was shed. It's It's time that God's people realize that the Lord is sovereign over it all. And it's time that we go to our sovereign. It's time that we understand It's important that we tell our children, that we tell our neighbors, and that we tell the people around us that the only place to go is the Lord because he has wonderful words of life. He controls everything.
Are they ready back there? Yeah, I didn't do that right, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for this day. As we go into this time of worship, I ask you, Lord, that you would meet with us and that you would minister. I pray now, Lord, that as we go into this time, that, that the very thought that you are present and that you are there and that, that you invite us to take you into, you, into us and, to, and the, to abide in you, I pray, Lord, that that would resonate in us now. Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and draw us in Jesus' name. Amen.